Thank you, dear sister, for that song. It came from the heart. It's a, always a special blessing to be here in this church. Brother McMath and I started about the same time. I think he started maybe a couple of years earlier. And I, too, am grateful for your example and your faithfulness, brother, your family, a special family. And God has been good to you all, this church has been blessed. I remember what it was back there. And so through the years, God has blessed. And I'm honored to be here. It's a, it's a privilege and a, and a blessing to share God's word and to tell you a little bit about the mission field. Some of you I've never met. Some of you I forgot that I've met. You know how that is. Uh, I, I tell everybody I used to break and train racehorses and I fell on my head more time than once. So I have a good excuse. Uh, my wife doesn't think that that's a good excuse because she'll tell me something to do now. I don't, don't do it. I, I forgot. And so I don't think she believes me most of the time. But um, I, I have a tendency to talk a little bit because my Spanish and English keeps getting mixed up in my head. I need your prayers. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to glorify the Lord. There is nothing more important in this life. And uh, as we age we begin to lose things. I'm basically pretty healthy. I have a back problem, but other than that, the Lord has taken good care of us. My wife went through a cancer several years ago, and she's doing fine. This is difficult for me sometimes because she's not here. For all of these years, we spend 90% of our time together. And uh, I can tell by looking at her when I'm getting a little off track, and, and I try to be real careful to match that clock over there. A uh, long time ago, a pastor said, we gotta be done by 12 because we have an activity. So I looked at the clock and I thought, man. And the message went on and finally he got up and said, thank you, brother. And uh, it just finally dawned on me that that miserable clock had died. The battery <laughs> wore out. And I was trying to do what he told me. So, brother, uh, if you have a set time for this, you let me know, but you might have to throw a rock I get excited, and the Lord is good. I was saved here in New Mexico. I lived out by the racetrack. My son was born with a tumor. We went through tremendous trials. Many of you know this story. I'll make it brief. And uh, through this, and, and this is part of the message you'll remember. Through this, uh, I went back to my roots of my religious background, and I sincerely prayed that God would save my son to take away the heartache in our life from all of this economically and in many ways in addition. And, uh, you know, it's amazing what it takes to make a person look to God. When I got out of college, I had studied psychology, and that, you know, is exactly opposite of what God wants of us. I was pretty much an atheist, I guess you could say, not exactly, because when times got tough, just like any atheist, Lord help me or God help me. And so it's, that's not a true statement for somebody to say that they don't believe in God. And so it was through that that uh, I got saved. But what happened is I, beca I became very active in the religion of my fathers. And I try to be careful with these things. Uh, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody. I was advised that, it, that this is being recorded and my knees are making sparks down here because I've never done this before. But we're going to get it done anyway. And so uh, 
I tried to get really involved. I thought, okay, I need to get back in relationship with God. But for some reason, it just didn't fill this empty heart I had. I tried to get, I got involved in meditation and all kinds of things like that. And then in the hospital, which we spend a lot of time there, you run into very fine, gracious people, Christians, and some that think they're Christians. And the typical uh, help that they'll give you is, well, you have to trust God. And of course, I thought that, and I tried to, but I couldn't do it. Finally, I decided one day, I'm not going to listen to anybody. If God exists and he cares about this little baby and about the suffering of my family, then perhaps I can find it in the Bible. And I had tried to read the Bible many times in life from the time I was probably 14 and 15, but I didn't understand it. So I would read a little bit and then I'd quit. This time I decided I'm going to find out. And so I read the New Testament for three months. I read it maybe 25 to 30 times. Just hours and hours, my wife would wonder what was wrong with me because I had the tendency to get involved in, like I said, meditation and things like that. And it just kind of, it, it would uh, attract my attention quite seriously. And so uh, I went on like that for a long time. And, and you know what? I found absolutely no consolation in reading the Bible that many times, the New Testament. None. In fact, I found out I had a bigger problem than what was going on in our life. I realized that if I died the way I was, I was going to go to hell. And now I know that hell appears 54 times in the Bible, just for your information. And so it scared me. And in September of 1983, in my house, next to the racetrack, where else? I understood. I understood. I understood that God loved me, and I knew that I needed to be saved, and I was saved then. I tried to get involved, much involved, in the religion of my fathers, but every time that a verse or two was mentioned or read or something took place in the service that didn't make sense to me, I would approach the leader and ask him why he said this if the Bible said this. Needless to say, it didn't take too long before that fellow had his vein about to hear with some of my questions. Finally, I decided this wasn't the place to be. I wanted to look for a place that would teach me the Bible. I read that his church would always be. So I visited other churches, but the same thing happened. Something would be said or done in the services, and I would ask the, the preacher to explain. I would simply say, I read this, but you said this. One kind pastor, and I really enjoyed the service. The, the teaching was excellent as far as I was concerned. But after, after asking him that question, you know, he said to me, brother, I think you have a critical spirit. Why don't you go home and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you? So I thanked him and I took my wife by the hand and my two little ones and I said, nah, this isn't the place. Then there was a man from Temple Baptist. I had asked questions about that church, but several Christians had said, ah, you don't want to go over there. Those guys are fanatics about the Bible and their songs are kind of boring. And, you know, I guess he was talking about people like you, you know. <laughs> and so, but the curiosity got me and I called Brother or, uh, Orlando Visaraga. He's a roofer. 
and uh, asked him if I could go to church with him. Man, that man was happy. I couldn't understand why would anybody be so happy because somebody called him up and asked him to go to church. But I guess some of you understand how that can fill your heart with a little bit of joy, huh? And so I went. And um, I didn't meet the pastor as we walked in. We got in there at, on the hour. And I remember where I sat. It was the third row on the right-hand side. And I never moved from that row, by the way. And uh, he started to preach. And, and I thought, wow, this is... You know, he was studying through books. That's what I wanted. I wanted to learn the Bible. And so in one of the uh, parts that he said, he said, number one, if I say something that does not conform to this book, you have an obligation to tell me. I just about fell out of my chair. I thought, I've made a few mad asking him just that. There's this man telling me that's what I'm supposed to do. But he also qualified his statement by saying, but don't interrupt me, and after the services, tell me what was wrong, but show me in the Bible. We're not interested in, in opinions around here. And I thought, praise the Lord. Then he said, if you think that by being a member of this church you're guaranteed a salvation, that's a lie. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can save you. And so I never left. Been there, was there for over a year, I guess, learning. The first time I heard a missionary, it was Brother John Casillas. He was murdered in Mexico not too many years back. And when I heard that man, I thought, wow. See, I had many jobs. I worked in three different banks. I had a contract with the Department of Commerce, just a lot of things like that, and I was never happy. And I guess the Lord was preparing me for something much different. On a Wednesday night, pastor preached a message on Isaiah, who will go for me. I grabbed my wife by the hand, and as we walked up, she said, now what are we coming up here for this time? You know. Thank the Lord for godly women for pastors' wives, for missionaries' wives. They are truly the unsung heroes in this business. Without uh, our wives, where would we be? And I suppose many pastors and men, we, you know, uh, you're talking about what the, uh, the lesson for the married men in particular. Guys, you've got to understand this. You better keep the war department happy or you're going to be in trouble. So uh, make sure you understand these things. And the mission field. Well, uh, we ended up in Argentina because I wanted to go where there was nobody else. There was few missionaries, independent Baptist churches. In all of southern Argentina, there are still only four missionaries. We had the blessing, I say it's a blessing, to be the first missionaries in the southern part, the Patagonia, the uh, mountains down, down south. And uh, it, when we got there, uh, a missionary from the north told this family that we had gotten to Argentina, but they were from a little pueblo called Picun Lefu. It's an Indian name. And so uh, they knocked at our door and said, would you come and teach us the Bible? My family and two grandmothers and, a, and another person or two have been praying for two years that God would send us an independent Baptist to teach us the Bible. And I thought, a little town? Where is it? I didn't have a car then. So I got on the bus. It's a two-hour drive. In that bus, you'll see a sign that says it's uh, conditioned. All that means is if it's hot outside, it's hot inside. If it's cold outside, it's cold inside. Two-hour and a half ride, and I got there, and the wind was blowing. One of the grandmothers met me at the, at, at the bus stop. We walked about a mile to the house, and there was a little group of people. The dust was so bad and blowing, and one of the ladies, I had the, uh, the blessing to preach her funeral. She was 97 years old, wiping her forehead. And we stayed there, and we uh, 
preach the message. They asked me to come back, and I thought, well, all right, I'll come back. Well, been there for 30 years. The car drives by itself. I just get in, and it goes and comes back. And been doing that for that long. They're still there, many with new faces, old faces. Uh, we started about, uh, well, I guess months later, a church there in the city of Nuken. And we've been there for all these years. We had hoped to be able to branch out. I've started Bible studies in the different towns. I've preached through the radio for all these years. And it's just been difficult. And now I'm sad to say that our country is locked down. We cannot have services. We've lost one person to COVID. And we have a couple that are sick now. And so uh, we need prayer. We're getting into winter there. And so we ask for your prayers. And, you know, I think the biggest fear is fear. So we need to understand some things from the Word of God about that. And I want to encourage you about missions in this life and what God has really planned for us. Uh, I would ask you to join me in prayer. I need your prayer. I need God to work through His Word. And so will you pray with me? Father, uh, it's a privilege to approach your throne. Help, Lord, I pray that we recognize who we are praying to, that you are God, that you're master, that you're the Savior. Uh, and Lord, without you, we can accomplish nothing. We need you tonight. We need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need you to speak to our hearts. We're, gonna in, we're entering into some perilous times in this country, in the world, in fact, and so we need your guiding hand. We ask you to be glorified through it all. Bless this message. Bless this church, this pastor, and his family. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to preach your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, <clears throat> um, most of us, from the time we're little, have learned some verses of the Bible. But we didn't know there were verses from the Bible. There's four verses or five, depending on which uh, part of the, the verses that I'll show you here in a minute. And uh, it's something that caught my attention not too long ago. I didn't really understand what those four verses really meant. And without understanding of that, there's really no way that we can serve the Lord as we should. There's no way that we're going to be really encouraged to witness, to testify. And so I want to share something about that with you. Will you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13? Now, as uh, we were being driven, my, my daughter and her husband and kids live in Idaho, about four hours away from where my son lives. And uh, there's a custody arrangement as to where we stay when and with who. And a long time ago, we decided, you guys figure it out. I have meetings these dates, so you work around it. And when I get there, you tell me to get in that car, and I'll get in that car. When I get where we're supposed to be going, you tell me to get out, and I'll get out right there. And that's the way it all works out. But as we were going to Montana, the, uh, my grandchildren were watching a movie. And this man started to pray these verses. Well, as we know the way things are in the world, they cut the mic. Amazingly enough, all of the people that were watching this game, and gobs of them, 
continued with those verses because they knew them. And you know them. And you probably got it figured out what I'm talking about. But do we really know them? Do we really know them? Well, let's start here, Matthew chapter 6. Now I'm going to emphasize parts of this. And this is the key, again I mentioned, to success uh, in, in a true Christian that wants to serve the Lord. After this manner, therefore pray ye. And then it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it closes with this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's the Lord's Prayer. But we should know, repeating the first part. We're going to just deal with it in parts. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. He said, this is how you pray. It's instruction. It's not what you pray. And this is the big difference. And for all of those years that I prayed this prayer, and it really was a prayer in my heart and mind, just like you, without really understanding what it meant. Now, you recall that the reason this came about is that the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had observed him. They had heard him. And they saw the difference it made in him and the focus he had in the reason he was here. And they wanted that same focus. We ought to want that same focus. And so, after this manner pray ye, he shows them the example, the outline of how to pray, not what to pray. There's a specific purpose in every part of this. And again, I know that I'm supposed to be preaching typically a missions message. Well, there's this one. Without the instructions, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna do what we're supposed to do. Now, here I am talking to a wonderful church. God has blessed here. And so I think, well, hmm, uh, these people may not need it. I've been preaching the word of God. Actually, I've been preaching for about 35 years. I've been, it took a while because of Bible college and, and my growth in the church. But I immediately started wit witnessing to people. In fact, it even cost me. I had an insurance company at the time, and I witnessed to all my clients. And, and in about two weeks, I lost more than half of them. I thought, what in the world's going on, Lord, you know? And uh, so he was just kind of cutting me out of this world anyway. And so uh, it was a blessing. And so these men, the, the, they are instructed after this manner pray. And that was the purpose. He, he set specific pattern, a specific pattern for how we are to pray. Now, when we pray, we need to understand and think and focus. We're not parrots, by the way. Now... In verse 9, after this manner pray ye therefore, we have to focus on that. Now in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. We need to be careful. 
It's okay to pray that prayer so long as you're thinking right. But typically, that's not the purpose of the instruction here. Then, our Father, this personal address to the Father is for those that are the true sons of God. There are many verses, but you know what it says in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 12? It, it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. There's so many verses that we could use, but we do not become a son of God until we have clearly understood the gospel, the saving gospel. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Now, I was just like uh, any child of the devil, I think, you know. Uh, we didn't understand the word of God. And uh, I remember the Lord chastising the religious crowd, and he said to them, why they, he asked them, why, how come, in fact, he told them why they couldn't understand what he was trying to say. And then he said, because ye are of your father, the devil. I already told you I was involved in training racehorses. And if anybody here has any notion about what goes on in a racetrack, you think, man, there's a brother over there that repented from that mess. You know, so I could drug horses at night with my eyes closed. It's sad. I, I'm ashamed to say those things. But uh, God is good. He forgives. And I'm grateful to be saved. Now, there's some other interesting things about this that we could dwell upon. But understand this. We address our prayer to our Father. I remember in Temple Baptist, there was a young man that was a little bit deficient, if I could say it that way, mentally. He worked at uh, McDonald's. And I think Danielle is going to remember in Jones. And uh, Pastor Whitehead uh, told him that he, one of these times he's going to have to pray. And he said, okay, Pastor. Well, time passed, and he didn't give him a warning. He just said, and I wish I could remember his name. And he got up, and he prayed. And I don't know if I can get through this. And this needs to be our address and feeling to God, our Father. But he said, Father, I love you. I love you so very much. And he says, thank you for saving me. I love you, Father. Everybody was crying. Uh, that man really knew what it meant to address the Father. We need to have that attitude. We need to think about it and practice it. And every time we open our big mouth, we need to think about no, not so much what this says, but what this says. Remember your salvation, see? Which art in heaven. That's amazing. I want to read, write it down because I'm not going to give you time to jump around to verses because it takes too much time. And uh, I have that habit of using a lot of verses. Psalm 11:4, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in the heaven. His eyes behold, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Psalms 19, 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And you know what it says in Romans chapter 1? That no one has an excuse. The heavens declare his majesty, his existence. Just looking up at the stars will give you... Uh, the awe that every person ought to have, there's got to be a God. I asked 
I spent a lot of time working with the Indian peoples up in the mountains. And mo many of them, after they get saved, they would ask, how come God took this away from us? This was all our land. And then the only reply I have for them is, well, the children of Israel were moved into the land of Israel because of the pagan tribes. They had sacrifices. To, uh, they sacrificed children. They were idolaters of the worst kind. Uh, what is the history of the tribes here? And they said, ah, we understand. Now, do you know how many children have been aborted and how many will be in this country? It's different. It's heartbreaking to fly into this country after a few years and see what's happening to the United States of America. My father is a veteran of the Second World War. He instilled in us a love and a respect for our country. We used to hear it in school. I get goosebumps when I hear the Star-Spangled Banner. Uh, when we went to the field and came back after four years in, in the airport in Florida, when we got off there, there was a Marine to greet us. And he said, welcome home, sir. And when you've been out of this great country and you see it going the way it's going, man, it's heartbreaking. You expect it from the country we're in working. You don't know the Lord. Okay. I needed that pause. And so, listen to this. The majesty of God's heavens. We were in the mountains because my wife thought she, that we were going to be able to see the, the uh, what do you call it, the northern lights. My son thought that it was possible. So a friend of his has a cabin, and we went way up in the mountains. And uh, so they decided, well, we'll set the clock for every hour, and then how about you, Dad, you get up and go look out the window or get outside. So, but you know, nothing happened about the northern lights except that I got to see from the mountains. I remember that from being raised in Alamosa. It's higher, it's higher than the highest mountain in Montana, by the way, and the stars. And I was just in awe. But do you know that there's a star out there in the far heavens that has been discovered? And I even wrote the name down, if I can find it. It's called Canis Majoris. That star, I don't know if anybody else look on the internet, it's amazing. That star is so big that if you hollow it out, all the planets of the Milky Way, I'm talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, uh, Mars, our Earth, will fit inside that star in its circuits. Our planet looks like a little dot compared to that star. God made that star. And when we think about his throne in heaven, in uh, Revelation, is it 22, that it gives us a description of the holy city? Some uh, guy a whole lot smarter than I am, one of the mega heads with um, mathematics, calculated from the measurements in there that that holy city is in the heavens is so big it would cover half of the United States in a square and just as high. He said, if, and if there 
is 300 yards between each floor. That's a, that's a lot of space in between floors. And you spread them out in a square, it would take 89 earths to accommodate it in the flatness thereof. And God said to the disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions. You think about that when you pray and you say, and you, and you re remember which art in heaven that'll make a difference in our life. Now, one other thought. Hmm? Scientific proof, that's what we're trying to deal with. The Bible is a scientific book. Modern science is not science. I'm gonna read you a verse, because uh, the Lord used Paul to write to his preacher uh, a, a helper, Timothy, and in 1 Timothy 6.20 it says, Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. True science demands observation and study and proof. And over again, I suppose you've all heard this because I think every Christian has. I have the privilege to talk to doctors every now and then. When you get old, you'll have the same privilege too. And so we get to talking about, uh, first off they ask, well, what are you doing here? Because they, they don't notice my Spanish that much, but my wife is a giveaway. Where are you from? And so when we tell them, what in the world are you doing here? So we tell them. And then they get this look, see, most of them don't believe in creation. So I've had the opportunity. And I'll say, well, uh, this Big Bang theory isn't scientific. And of course, that raises, you know, again, the old vein gives it this job with these people. And so I say to them, well, it's not science, something that you have to observe and prove and study. And, and they'll agree with that. Okay, I'll say, do, do you know of anyone? And of course, like I say, most of you know this, just remember it, use it. Uh, was there anyone there when the Big Bang took place? Of course, no. And immediately they'll say, but there wasn't a Christian there either. I'll say, that's right. We believe that by faith, but we can observe some things. Let me ask you a question. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. With this doctor, we happen to be sitting by a window. What do you see if you look up and down? Do you not see heavens and earth? Show me some example or something we can see about a Big Bang. And of course they can't, and then you keep going. You can go through it all. You know, the, the, the stars, he knows them by name. Isn't that amazing? And then everything else, he created everything in, uh, according to its, help me with the, the, the uh, English word. His likeness, okay. I, I'm thinking de su manera, okay. And anyway, you can go clear through the list. From horses come horses, from dogs come dogs, from uh, donkeys come donkeys, and I usually kind of grin at that one. But, you know, it, it's so obvious. And so, again, I, I, I'm giving you an idea of how you can witness to some of these people, but more I'm wanting you to see how wonderful God is. Do you know, I, I hope this is true, but I heard it from, from Dr. Carl Baugh. Uh, I don't know if he's even around anymore, but he said that every leaf has an even number of notches, never odd. Go out and count them, would you, and write me a note and tell me that's the truth. But anyway, 
And now, there's something interesting. Hallowed be thy name. That's the next part. Now, first we're talking about the address to our Father. Hallowed be thy name. And uh, I think somebody mentioned this verse already. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's no other name whereby we must be saved but the name Christ Jesus, as the book of Acts. It's amazing what we see in these verses. And uh, we can read so many verses about that. Let's go to Hebrews 11.3, if you have. We're, we're going to be there for just a little bit. This is the amazing thing in this verse. And I don't think I noticed this till about a couple of years ago. And I've had the habit since I got saved to read the Bible completely in it every year. And I challenge every church, you know that you can read the Bible every year by just reading one, two, three, four pages? you do that, it takes you less than 15 minutes. You can read the Bible completely in a year. I, I don't know why we can't do it. Uh, I read a book by Hudson Taylor. He did it. That's how come I got that idea. Okay, now, the verse there in Hebrews. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So I thought... All these years that God made everything out of nothing, but that doesn't say that. It's made out of things that do not appear. Okay, uh, what makes up the air? Is the air real? Can you feel it? Do you see it? No, but what makes it up? I wrote a note to my son and asked him that question. And he said, yeah, you'd have to know, Luke. He sent me back <clears throat> one of them little cartoon type things, and in it was a picture of adamant. He was given at this job. You know, all know who Adamant is? Rattle your head at me if you're alive here. Okay. <clears throat> and so I asked him, well, how'd you know that? He says, well, my uncle Danny took me to Los Alamos, and everybody that lives around here should know uh, what an atom is. Uh, 1945, you know what happened in, in uh, Japan? Killed more than 200,000 people from one atom that somehow they figured out how to split it, and it was injected with, with uh, uh, the explosives that's necessary in a, in a trigger, and boom. You know what that means? That the atom, incidentally, it's made up of three parts. Somebody remember? Protons, neutrons, electrons. Uh, God is the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Time you measure by past, present, and future. Space, the width, the length, the, the, the height. An egg has three. Uh, we are body, soul, and spirit. It's amazing how many things there are of threes. Just That's a little side gift. Uh, that should help us to understand the greatness of God. Not only that. Now we're, that we're talking about science. Let's read a verse in Psalms 139.14. Now this is for... These uh, modern, uh, what do you call them? Learned a new word, woke. They're not work, woke at all. They're sleep. They're, they're fast asleep. Uh, nothing near woke. Psalms 139:14 through 16. It says there, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, 
when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were, was fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Now, that's amazing, about all this matter of, uh, uh, of an embryo, of what child can be killed and what can't, and what can constitute a, a baby. You know that the instant of conception, and in little bitty time, there is an embryo uh, about the size of a bean or a little less. I don't know where it starts. Well, it starts in almost nothing. Proof, scientifically, is that the DNA, as we have read there, is completely in place. You can determine who is your father by a piece of hair off of your head, if you have any. And so, you know, it's amazing what true science really teaches. Okay, so what does that mean? That means, scientifically, because God said so, and science can prove it, the instant a child is conceived, he is a complete human being. There's no difference between that child and someone that is not mature at age 30, they think. And you'd have to question that nowadays with these uh, kids that are coming out of college. And they, I, I remember one brother saying, he said, they just go to school to get stupid. And so, uh, who knows? But it, it's amazing that there are three elements or three things that, are, that require for a person to get to maturity. Time, nutrition, and protection. There is absolutely no difference but those three things. And so it's amazing that as we pray and, and think about who God is, uh, his name, his name, he's the creator. And so there's so many things that we could talk about that, uh, that should help us to understand things. Not only that, here's another one. The chromosomes in a person. A man has an X and a Y. A woman has an X and an X. The instant of conception from the man, if there's an X, it's a boy. If it's a Y, it's a girl. Maybe I have it backwards. No, I got it right. Okay, now what does that mean? Uh, you can dress it up a, any way you want. You can carve up all the, anything you want to carve up and try to make changes. But scientifically and biblically, the instant of conception, it is clear that that is a boy or it is a girl. Now, I was raised out in the sticks, and it doesn't take too many smarts to figure that out. Every now and then, we'd walk out to the field and a calf was born. And if dad didn't see it, he'd ask. Is it a uh, male or a female? Uh, in other words, is it going to be hamburger or milk, you know? And it doesn't take two a rocket scientists to walk around and, and check out the plumbing, and you know what it is, and it's going to be that way till that animal dies. Nothing ever changes. Where in the world are we getting these stupid ideas, basically, really? And I, I know that's a little bit uh, language that maybe should be a little bit more delicate, but it is not anywhere near scientific. 
So as we look at the Lord's Prayer and we think of all of these things, that will help us to understand His greatness. When Moses approached Him in that burning bush, what did the Lord say? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. That's where we get when we come to God in prayer. Thy kingdom come. Okay, Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death, hell, hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him 1,000 years. That's his kingdom. That's what he promised. He promised to Abraham that he would give his people, the Jewish people, that land in where they will dwell for 1,000 years. That is the focus that the Lord Jesus Christ came to uh, accomplish the establishing of that kingdom. But they rejected him and they hung him on the cross. It was programmed that way for our benefit. But uh, 1,000 years, the prophecies that we are seeing today are helping us to understand that the time is not too far in the future. Now, uh, this may hurt some of our delicate feelings, but is it not said in the Bible that there will be perilous times, there'll be diseases, there'll be wars, there'll be, uh, you know, the, the heart of many will wax cold and wickedness will abound, and just the whole long list in Matthew chapter 24. In addition to that, in Timothy, it talks about apostasy. Christians will abandon. Somebody that's not saved can apostatize because they're not part of anything. All of these things have to take place. So, okay, when we begin to pray, God, take this away from us, we do an awful lot of whining and crying about those things, but we need to be thinking, praise the Lord. That has to happen in order for your kingdom to come. You understand? If we pray otherwise, it's a contradiction. You can't have it both ways. And so we need to be rejoicing. It's not easy, but through these things, we're going to have to get pretty tough. Things are not going to get easy. In fact, we need your prayers at some point, and brethren in, church, in churches, at some point, more and more as the government shuts things down, we're going to have to decide if we're going to say, absolutely not, we have the right to be here, and if it takes throwing us in jail, we'll preach to the prisoners. Uh, how we're going to get to that, and when we're going to get to that, I do not know. But if we are praying for his kingdom to come, we need to understand that. Paul encouraged the uh, Church at Corinth, uh, of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, for 40 days, now this is his, God's focus, His will, where we need to understand this, His focus, after He uh, resurrected from the dead, He spent 40 days with the disciples. Incidentally, the disciples were not as individuals. They died a long time ago. He was talking to them as the representatives of the church that he started in the, in the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the first part. First, he put in the church apostles. Everything that we see as the mark of a church is in the, is in the New Testament uh, Gospels. They baptized. They had the Great Commission. They had a treasure. Uh, they preached the gospel. They, they uh, had church discipline. At the end of the book of John, he breathed on them and said, 
receive ye the Holy Spirit. Nothing was lacking, absolutely nothing. They participated in the Lord's Supper, only the 12, because they were the transition point from the law to the church in Acts. He opened it up to the world. And so, you know, his will is that. But for us, okay, his last act on the cross was what it was perhaps equally dear to him as the kingdom. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 3. This is what we're supposed to preach. We better not leave this out. 1 Corinthians 3 and several other verses that follow. Most of you know this by heart. If you don't, you better learn it because this is what we're supposed to do. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Now you can't give anything you don't possess. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's amazing what this says. But listen, let's back up just a little bit. Let's start a little bit in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by the which ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Do you know that a great majority of the people in this world have heard the gospel? And they have it in the head, but not in the heart. And so uh, what's really amazing is you know that once a year, a good part of the Western civilization and other parts of the world see the gospel in movies uh, during the time of March or April in the time we call the Passover. Incidentally, here goes a rock. The word Easter ap appears one time in the book of Acts. It's not translated in any other language but English. It's the Passover. It's the anniversary of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is his focus. But the last act that he did was exactly this. He gave us the living example of the gospel. He didn't change the Passover, he fulfilled it. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, he fulfilled every single step. Four days they investigated the Lamb of God to see if he was pure. They followed him around. Every aspect of it he fulfilled. Now, let's go to Luke 23, 39. And while you're looking for that, I'm going to toss another big rock out there to you. Is anyone saved? I hear this a lot. Are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I received Jesus into my heart. Is that true? Is that a true statement? When someone says, I received Jesus as my Savior, I received Jesus into my heart, uh, is that a true statement? Do people get saved that way? You're looking at me with white all the way around your eyes. No, it isn't. That doesn't save anybody. Now, some people can be saved that way because they have the knowledge in their heart that God can bring out to them. But receiving Jesus in your heart, listen, is the result of understanding the gospel. 
It's a true statement, but only in that order. The Great Commission, repeated in all the Gospels in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, tells us to present the Gospel. The Gospel is mentioned, the word Gospel is mentioned 104 times in the New Testament. It's important to him. Every single message preached in the book of Acts to a group of unsaved people clearly states at least two parts of the Gospel, and the other one is clearly implied. Every single message. Why don't we do that? I assume many of us do. Your tracks better have the gospel in it. If not, you better get other tracks, I think. Okay. Now I've quit preaching and gone to meddling. That's what old preachers used to say. I'm an old preacher, so I can get by with that. Now listen. Luke 23. One of the malefactors which were railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself. I use these all the time. You can say, you can tell this story of the gospel uh, in five minutes, if that's all you have. Everyone knows that the Passover is about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ask anyone, that's what they'll tell you. He died for our sins, whether they believe it or not. Some will even say, well, they say that he died for our sins. Okay. And so everyone has heard. The Lord Jesus said that he would come after, everyone, after the gospel went around the world. I believe it's already gone. I think that we're that close. And anyway, the first one, he did just like I did for a long time, and many of you perhaps. One of the malefactors which were railed, uh, hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and save us. Okay, he was afraid to die. He was afraid of the pain. He was going to leave his family. I don't know what the excuses are, but like I already mentioned, I pray God help me. But I was thinking about myself, my own situation. I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about eternity. I was just like everybody else. God, help me with this. That's not right. That's a selfish prayer. But we don't understand that because we're naturally selfish until God changes us. Okay? The other. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? I don't know how the Jehovah Witnesses, Adventists, Mormons, Hindus, can wiggle their way out of that one. That man clearly said, Dost not thou fear God being under the same condemnation? Jesus was condemned. Jesus is God. He recognized that. It's pretty easy to make it very clear because this guy understood it. And then he said, And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. Who's perfect? Only God. Two times that man declares his understanding that Jesus is God. Jesus is the, is the uh, revelation of the Father in the flesh. Then, of course, he admitted that he deserved that. Who, uh, I suppose, uh, secularly speaking, that everyone would agree that one of the kindest people in history in the last years of perhaps in, in some of us that have a few more years uh, as, as being famous for being a very good person was Mother Teresa of Calcutta. But you know what she's guilty of? Same thing you're guilty of. Murder. She murdered. You murdered. I murdered. We are guilty of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took upon himself our sin. In the garden, he said, Father, it be possible to take this cup. That cup was filled with the whole filth of the whole world. 
Hitler six million Jews. He took it upon himself. He wept on the, before he went to the cross, he said, Father, if it be possible to take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine. After 12 o'clock, the sun didn't shine, it was dark. And then the Lord Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only time in all of eternity, which we can't even mention, God the Father could not look upon all the filth that was put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only mentally, spiritually, and physically. It all went upon him just like if he had committed it. And so when we pray, we need to understand that. And that man then said, turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, I hope your Bible says Lord. Many don't. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He didn't join a church. He didn't get baptized. He just simply said, Lord. But see, that was the end of the conversation. He already knew that Jesus was God. He knew that he was dying on the cross for him. And incidentally, you can't rise. It doesn't say that he, that he was buried, but you can't resurrect unless you've been buried. And we also know that three days and three nights he spent literally in hell. Fifty-four times, the King James Bible says hell. And so he understood and saw, was seeing the gospel. So do we. We understand that. And as Christians, we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If we're not doing that, we're leaving things a little bit short. Now, again, I understand, and I've made that mistake so many times through the years, and I think it's a mistake. And, and maybe it's been 10 years and I finally figured it out. I don't know how long it's been. But now I try to be really careful to make sure that those three parts are mentioned. If not, we're not doing what this prayer is instructing us to do. Give us day by day our daily bread. How many of you were taught to pray for your food every day? Raise your hand. Amazing. That's because we're always thinking about hamburgers, McDonald's. That's not what it's saying. If you read in Luke chapter 11, the same Lord's Prayer, and you jump over to verse 13, it says, in fact, I wrote it down here. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's the context of that verse. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the order is amazing. He gives us all the things that we're supposed to do, but then how are we going to get it done without the power of the Holy Spirit? So the order is exact like it's supposed to be. And incidentally, that's the shortest verse of all those, uh, of the five verses that we're reading. And it's the most important. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to get anything done. And so every time we pray, we have to think about all these things. As far as our needs are concerned, uh, well, that little song that we sing in, in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Hmm, thousand years. That's a future, isn't it? And his righteousness, do what we're supposed to. And then what does it say? And all these things will be added unto thee. It's God's job to take care of his people. We don't have to pray for our food. We just got to be careful to, to serve the Lord, and he'll take care of us. That's what that says. And forgive us our sins, verse 4 of the prayer. 
For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Boy, that's hard. Forgiving people. I've been robbed five times. One time they took tools that I had been accumulating since I was 18 years old. About $4,000 worth. I never replaced them all. I'm too old to need them anyway at this point. So, and can you forgive someone that has robbed you? You better. That's what it says. And you think, wow, I have to forgive those things? One day somebody stole my waiters out of the trunk of my car. I needed them waiters to baptize. I'm not going to tell you nothing about fly fishing. You, you, you know how life is? And you live in a foreign country. We live with a, a uh, six-and-a-half-foot wall, iron bars, an alarm, and still people get robbed. Somebody knocks on the door, and you open it, and they put a gun in your face. What are you going to do? We've, I've told my wife, do not ever leave that outside gate unlocked. And when somebody knocks, you look through the window and ask them what they want. It happens every day. You don't have them problems here, but you will. And so understand how much we need the protection and the power of God in our life. And to be able to forgive those that have hurt us, because if not, it's, it stops the whole thing. That's tough. God forgave us of everything. Everything. We must be, that's why we're called Christians, incidentally. And the reason... I, I think that the order then finally falls into that. The, the great David, King David, he would write in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. This should help us. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Matthew 6, we already, it's in the verses that we're at in Matthew for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And lead us not into temptation. Boy, that's a battle. You can't hardly even watch the news without having to see something that you don't really want to see. And so we need to be conscious of all those things. You know that there's an epidemic of pornography among Christians? Probably both men and women. You don't think about women... Uh, looking at, but you know, we're flesh. But through the power of God, as these things then are revealed to us, these are the things you have to be careful about. This is what you do so that you can fulfill those first parts that were already mentioned. The Lord is faithful, Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil under the conditions that he has placed. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. No other way will work. That verse that everybody knows in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ and only through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, let's read that prayer one more time and I'm done. The only way the disciples asked him to pray, but they got the lesson. Those men turned the world upside down. You know, the Lord didn't have much success in his ministry. There was only 120 waiting for him. He preached the gospel everywhere. 
But what he did is establish the church, and it's the job of the church. It wasn't his job. It wasn't what he came for. He came to start his church. And so it was the power given to the church, you, as a local New Testament Baptist church. These are the instructions. Let's read it again. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I like the closing. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's get things right. It's not going to be easy. Maybe people aren't even going to get saved, but it doesn't make any difference. As long as we witness, we're going to be judged for that. The results are none of our business. God will do that. When people get saved, then we have a job to do. We have to instruct them. But until then, one day, uh, some of you that have the habit of giving out tracts, I've given out thousands. There's a restaurant there in the little town that sometimes feeds 200 people. I take tracts there once a month, fill up a big box, and people take it. Sadly, in all of these years, I've had maybe five calls about those tracks, and it's discouraging. And then I thought, well, they have the gospel. God said, give out the gospel any way that you can. Maybe, I hope, someday when I get there, somebody will say, I got a tract out there in a little old dusty town, and I got saved. But it doesn't make any difference when before the wedding of the Lamb, that's another thing the Lord came to seek and, and grow his bride, hmm? biblical church. But before that, remember it says when in the judgment seat of Christ, it talks about silver, uh, our works are silver, gold, precious stones, or the straw. It's amazing that he put it that way because we know that before the marriage of the lamb is that judgment seat. When I got married, I gave my wife a, an engagement ring. But when we got married, I slipped on a wedding ring. In the customs of the Jews, they provide jewelry for that bride to prepare her for that wedding. Are you getting the picture? At the judgment seat of Christ, when the motives of our works are weighed, if they're silver, Gold, precious stones were dressed for that wedding. And if you'll read Revelation 19, 7 and 8, there's also going to be in that wedding, not those that marry, but those that are called to the supper. To be saved, but not part of the wedding. That's kind of hard to understand, perhaps. But that's why we get married the way we do. Well, I got married December 27th. It was 30 below zero. Nobody messed up my car. As a blessing. Hey, nobody remembers. The only thing they remember is it was cold, but I remember the 27th. I better. I could get in trouble if I don't. See, See the picture of all these things? Stand, if you will.